Here is my assignment today, and we're going to do this in three parts. Today, my assignment and Pastor D's assignment is this. Before you leave here today, we want you absolutely convinced that God is unstoppable. Yeah, you can clap on that. Yes. You see, an empty tomb is the sign that God is unstoppable. That is the sign that we forever live with that says you cannot stop God when He puts His mind to something. There are times where God says things to us, and if we cooperate, then those things are going to work out. There are other times God says, I don't care what comes against it, I'm going to do what I want to do. And in this case, Jesus was going to the cross, dying for the sins of man, rising again that we might have life, that he can convince us of his love. And he says, there ain't nothing you can do about it. I'm going to do it and nothing will stop me. And so today we want to talk about three real movements of this unstoppable God, the unstoppable mercy of God. Does anybody thank, thank him for mercy? Any of you receive mercy? Mm. And then I'm going to turn it over to Pastor D, and he's going to share the second act. That is the unstoppable grace of God. Man, when I found grace, whoo, man, I was forever changed. And I pray that if you have not found grace today, that it will change you in that, that same way, that you'll never be the same. And then that final act as we come back is that God demonstrates His mercy and His grace and His love that then that's what builds faith in us so that then you walk out of here today and you walk into situations, by the way, that may not change when we get done today. Can I just go on and be honest? Those situations you're going to walk into, they may not change yet. But I'll tell you something, when you walk into those situations with an unstoppable faith and an unstoppable God, I'll tell you something will move. So let's get started, shall we? So Jesus was prepared to give the ultimate sign, his resurrection, the reason we're here today. But some scribes and some Pharisees came to Jesus before his death and they said, Jesus, we'd love for you to give us a sign. They loved some signs. Does anybody like signs in the room? You're like, God, if you just give me a sign, if, if I just had a sign, I'd follow you. If I just had a sign, I'd believe. They come to him and they say, Jesus, we just need a sign. The problem is he'd given them plenty. And I'll warn you that it doesn't matter how many you have, you'll always want more. It'll never be enough until Jesus is enough. And so Jesus said to them, he said, I'm going to give you a sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah. And he said that there is one standing before you today that is greater than Jonah. Now, y'all remember Jonah, right? You remember growing up and you, you know, you'd read a Bible story book about Jonah? Yeah. I think we have done Jonah such a disservice because, because we have fixated on this fish, right? We've, we've fixated on this fish. And we have not really taken into account the, the fullness of this work of this man Jonah. So I want to invite you into what Jesus says when he says, I'll give you the sign of Jonah, and there's one greater than Jonah that's in your midst. So turn over, by the way, to the book of Jonah. Turn in your phones, wherever you may be. There's just four chapters in this book. You're like, oh Lord, where's Jonah? I know. 
You haven't been to Jonah in a while, I know. It's on page 936. In, in my Bible, not necessarily yours. Jonah, feel free, look it up. Turn with me. And here's what happens. And we'll tie this back into Jesus, I promise. In verse 1 it says, chapter 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now look at verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Did you see what just happened? God gave Jonah an assignment, and Jonah ran from the assignment. And I'm just curious if today there's anybody in the room that's been given an assignment by God and you ran. Are there any runners in the room? (laughs) Some of you I know, you're self-proclaimed runners. And if it gets a little tough, you've been prone to run. And so Jonah gets this assignment, and he doesn't like the assignment because, you see, Jonah is of the nation of Israel. Nineveh is part of Assyria, and Assyria is rising up and becoming great, and Israel is not. And so Israel actually hates the Assyrians. And Jonah doesn't want to go and have anything to do with the Assyrians because he just as soon see them be judged by God and fall. And so Jonah says, rather than go to the city like God has told me to do, I'll go in the opposite direction. It says that he went down to the port and he started asking around, is there a ship going somewhere other than Nineveh? You ever been in that situation where you're like, I'll just try to do anything to get away from this call of God that's on my life. That I'll do anything in order to not fulfill this thing that is stirring in my heart. And so you probably know the story if you grew up in uh, where you read Bible stories to each other. If not, I want to catch you up to speed. So what happens is Jonah, he boards this ship. There's this storm that comes. They ask, why is this storm about us? Do you know if you're being disobedient that there's usually some storms in your life? And so they're facing these storms and they're wondering who it is. And Jonah says, it's me. If you'll throw me into the sea, then it'll all calm down. It's a weird story, isn't it? Can I tell you that there are times that you will have to fight through some stories that you don't understand, some moves of God that you don't understand in order for the truth of God's word to penetrate you? Can I ask you today to not let this next part of the story offend you and you stop listening? But they throw him into the sea and he's swallowed up by a fish. Yeah. I look at that and I go, that's a weird story, God. And he spends three days in this fish. And then this fish throws him up on the land. And I'm like, God, why did we need a fish? I don't don't understand the fish. It would have been better without the fish. It'd make it easier for me as a preacher if it wouldn't have been a fish. Right? Right? Do you know that that group of Assyrians worshipped the sea and they worshipped sea gods? And actually when Jonah was spit up by the fish, he was more believable to the people that he was sent to. No, you thought it was just a Bible story. (laughs) No, see, God knew what it would take to prepare the hearts of people. And so when when he pops up on this sea, out of the sea, they're like, huh, maybe we should pay attention. 
And so he begins to, uh, he comes up out of the sea and hears the Lord again. He won't relent. Can I tell you if you're running from God, he's not going to relent from you. Can I tell you that? He loves you too much to let you get away. He's unrelenting. And what does it say? Verse 3. He pops up. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell. And so this time, Jonah is obedient, but half-hearted obedience. Anybody other than me giving half-hearted obedience to something? You're like, okay, I'll do it, but I don't have to like it. I don't have to be happy about it. I'm going to do it, and I'll just get it over with. And so he's just trying to get his assignment over, so he goes through. Listen to what he says, verse 8 of chapter 3. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. Let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wickedness away from the violence which is in his hand. Who knows? I like that. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wickedness, and then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared that he would bring to them, and he did not do it. So Jonah goes and preaches this message of turn to God and God will save you. And then in verse 4, Jonah goes and pouts about it. He goes and pouts. Now I don't know if any of y'all think in this line, but for a preacher, preaching the word of God and people turning to God is like the greatest thing in the world. It's what you long for. But Jonah preaches, and then he goes and positions himself so that he might look out over the people, and he's mad because he's actually scared that God's going to bring revival. He doesn't want them to repent. He wants them to be destroyed. And, we, and, and so we're like, what is wrong with this guy Jonah? And then we begin to get his heart. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it greatly displeased John, and he became angry, and he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents concerning calamity. Can I tell you that Jonah knew God? This is God's autobiography, by the way. Did you know that? If you ever wanted to know what is God like, by the way, we're on a series. If you come back, we're preaching about the nature of God, who God is. Because if you know God's heart, you'll know his ways and you'll be able to follow him. And so Jonah actually knows God when he says, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. Abundant in loving kindness, one who relents concerning calamity. Do you know that as the God that you serve? Is that the God that you serve? That He's compassionate and He's gracious and He's slow to anger and He's abundant in loving kindness. Because I don't know about you, but when I run into a lot of people out in the world, they think that God's mean and they think that He carries a big old stick. And he's just waiting until he can get somebody. And many people have lived with that in them. That if I do something wrong, God's coming to get me. And here's this weird prophet Jonah. Who knows God. 
but he doesn't have God's heart. Let me explain. He knows that God is compassionate. And he knows that if he goes down to Nineveh and he preaches, that if he does what God tells him to do, that God will empower him. Hmm. Anybody listening? He actually knows that if you do what God asks you to do, that God will empower you to do it, and he'll actually make you successful in it. That's what he knows. The reason he doesn't want to go down there is because he knows that if he preaches repentance, they're going to repent. And he doesn't want them to repent. He wants them to be destroyed. I said, oh my goodness, what a mixed up man. That he knows God, but he doesn't share God's heart. He's not compassionate to the people around him. I wonder if our world thinks God lacks compassion because his people lack compassion. Oh, I might have just started preaching right there. I wonder, wonder with me for a moment, that maybe people think God is angry because Christians, even though we know God, we don't carry his heart. And so we portray him as angry and mean and wanting to get back at people. And what we find here is that Jonah basically says, Oh, I don't want to go down there because if I preach, they're going to repent and I just as soon see them be destroyed. So there he is. He's mad and he's pouting and he's out in the hot sun and it's baking him and he's about to die and God does something even a little more strange. He sends a plant, and it covers Jonah from the sun. And Jonah's super excited about that. You ever been super excited when God was compassionate for you, but didn't care about anybody else? Yeah, that's how Jonah is. Jonah sees his plant grow up. It covers him from the sun, and he says he's super excited about this plant. He's like, oh, Lord, thank you so much. And then God says, hold on, I'm not done yet. And he sends a worm. And the next day the worm destroys the plant. And now Jonah's back in the hot sun again, watching the people of Nineveh repent. And he's like, I just want to die here. He's like, I, I just want to die. God, what are you doing? And then God says this. Get this. He says, Jonah, you liked it when I had compassion on you. And I sent the plant to cover you from the sun. And you were mad when I destroyed the plant. How much more is it my right to cover the people of Nineveh with forgiveness rather than destroy them? Do you see what God is saying? He says, you're okay when I'm compassionate with you. I wish you'd be com oh, you would be okay when I'm compassionate with everybody else. In comes the final act of the story. It ends in verse 11, and it says, Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? And it ends there. Why does it end there in this weird way? Because Jesus fulfills the story of Jonah. Let me explain. Jesus was sent into this world. Are you listening? 
And he accepted the assignment, not like Jonah. Jonah ran. Jesus said, I'll willingly go. I'll willingly give my life away. And so Jesus comes and it says that he came into the world and he becomes the word of God. You want to know anything about the word of God? What is the word of God? You'll find it in Jesus. Get to know Jesus. And he comes so that we might know him. And then he dies on a cross to forgive us of our sins. Not just ours, but of the whole world. There's somebody that's always in the room when I say that and you go, yeah, but not me. You ever felt that way? You know this John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And yet there's always people, particularly in a room this size, that would say, but not me. Can he, can he forgive me? I've done too much. I've gone too far. I barely made it here today. I'm hanging on. Can I tell you that if God would forgive Nineveh, he will surely forgive you. Can I tell you that Nineveh was wicked? Like wicked to the extent that I don't think you've ever seen. Wicked to the point that if you looked at the Nazis, you say, Ooh, I believe they're Christians. <laughs> That's how wicked these Assyrians were. They were so wicked that Jonah looked at them and said, They need to be destroyed. And God says, No, I want to forgive them. They're like, What? Jesus comes into the world and many people say, but it's so wicked. And he says, yeah, I want to forgive them. And so he spends three days, Jonah, three days in a well. Jesus, three days in a tomb that he might come back. And what does he do? Lord, it's a good thing God didn't send some of us to save the world. Because if you had. Yeah, you got that, didn't you? Because if you had been beaten for the sins of man, if you had been cursed for all the curse of man, if you had been spit on and mocked and crucified to a, cry, to a cross on the third day when you'd arose, you'd have had business to take care of, wouldn't you? I know you wouldn't. Some of you have never thought about that, have you? You're like, it's a good thing God didn't send me. Because I'd have found me some Romans. <laughs> And I'd have beat the mess out of them. And I'd have found me some religious leaders. And I'd have stoned them. And what does Jesus do? Jesus rises from the grave. He don't even go back to the Romans. He doesn't even go back to get revenge. Instead, He releases life. He releases life. And I want to end my part by saying this. The mercy of God is unstoppable. His mercy on you is unstoppable. You can't do so much that He can't forgive you. It's unstoppable. If He'd forgive Nineveh, He'll forgive you. His mercy is, say unstoppable. 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 One quick word before I turn it over to D. If there's anybody in the room that's holding unforgiveness, can I tell you that that's just like Jonah? That the reason we hold unforgiveness in our heart for people is because somewhere deep down inside of us, we know who God is. And we know that He'll forgive them because we've watched Him do it before. And the reason that we hold unforgiveness is because we think if we don't hold them accountable, God won't, and they'll get free. Can I tell you that God didn't want to hold anyone accountable? 
on his account, he wanted to set everybody free. That's why John 3.16, many of you know it, don't you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Have you ever read John 3.17? <laughs> I see the look on your face. You're like, no, I am not familiar with John 3.17. Well, let me end my part by letting you become familiar with John 3, 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. That word judge can also be rendered condemn. So I want to read it again with that condemn in it. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. You see, Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world because when the world doesn't know me, it's already condemned. Can I tell you that if you don't know Christ, you're already condemned. Your sin is already condemning you, right? It's why you're having such a tough go of it. It's because that's the nature of sin. It breeds death. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you anymore. I came that you might be saved, that you might have life. That's why I just look around in the neighborhood. I look around in the community trying to find people that the rest of the world might condemn. Because you know what? I got a story for you. Huh? I got a story for you. My story is this. God's mercy is unstoppable. He doesn't want to condemn you, my friend. He came to save you. And His unstoppable mercy is act number one. Act two. Act two. For our baseball coaches, that was our leadoff. That was our leadoff. We're on base. All right? And so now my job and my responsibility is the cleanup hitter is to make sure that we do the rest of it. All right? So we talked about unstoppable mercy. I remember as a kid, as Pastor Kevin was talking, I remember hearing the story about Jonah, and I remembered it simply. I, I still haven't figured out how they decided that it was a whale. Because if you read the text, it doesn't say a whale. I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. So because my friend Jonathan uh, fishes with catfish, I believe some of the big catfish that he had, it probably could have been a catfish. I don't know. But, but, but some kind of way we came up with a whale, so we're going to go with a whale or a big fish or whatever you want to call it. So we talked about this, and I remember my grandmother would have us read these stories. And so I read this story, and I would always read it, but then as I got older and I started digging into it, I realized that Jonah, it wasn't just one story. In actuality, it was four stories, because if you look at the scripture, as Pastor Kevin so eloquently um, exegeted, you'll see that there's um, a backstory about all the things um, that the people in Nineveh was doing. You heard him talk about how they worship the sea and the sea gods and things of that nature. So there, there's a story that's brewing and talking, and it's talking about uh, Nineveh in their own right. But then there's another story um, that's Jonah's story. When you read the beginning of it, you'll realize that Jonah was a renowned prophet. He was someone that God respected, someone that God loved so much that he would give him a charge to say, listen, I need you to go into this territory, and I need you to carry out this assignment. Kevin talked about the rest of it, how uh, he said, nah, I don't want to do that. They need to get what's coming for them. And then we know the rest of it. He went back. He relented. Then the, the, the tree came. Then it died and all that. So there's, there, there, there's Jonah's story. But then, watch this, there's another part to Nineveh's story. The second part to Nineveh's story is that they heard the word of God and they responded. 
So my prayer this morning is that, that, that we'll pick it up in the latter two stories. And the latter two stories talks about how Nineveh heard. They, 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 they saw this opportunity and they said, I have to seize the moment because even though we're not worthy of being forgiven, God has still sent word that he'll do it. So this morning, I want to speak to somebody and say, listen, I, I, I'm begging you to take advantage of this opportunity because many of you came in here thinking that this, the backstory of your life was so bad and you were so wrong and you missed the mark so many times and you didn't dot enough I's and you didn't cross enough T's and you didn't come to church frequently and you didn't do this or you didn't do that and you, you feel like God can't forgive you and God is saying, listen, this morning I want to remind you that when Jesus got up out of the grave, he got up for the of everybody. Yeah, that's a great place to clap. But, but, but there's some people who didn't want to clap because there's still some condemnation within them that's making them feel like they're not worthy. If anybody shouldn't have been worthy of feeling God's love, his compassion, his grace, it should have been the people of Nineveh. It should have been them. But look at the story. He, he sent a prophet and said, if you repent, I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you. You know, I, I remember growing up back in the day, the tent revivals, it was hellfire and brimstones, and you would hear somebody stand up saying, you need to repent, or you're going, no, that's not what I'm saying this morning. I'm just simply saying God loves you so much that he's given you an opportunity that if you take advantage of it, he'll renew you. I shouldn't have to scare you into a relationship with Christ. God's love is so compassionate. He's so loving that he says, even though I know the measure of your faults, I'm still, the, I'm, I'm still willing to extend my hand and say, I want to walk with you. Even though he, he knows his, your track record, he's still willing to stick out his hand and say, yeah, I remember the last time you said, well, God, if you get me out of this jam, I'll serve you. And uh, you served him for a little bit, but then you kind of went wayward. He, he remembers all of that, but he's still saying this morning, listen, I'm sending my prophets to tell you that if you simply repent, I'll love you. That was Nineveh's story. I, I was reading Pastor Kevin, and I was, I was blown away that, that when we look at Nineveh, I, I, I saw Sodom and Gomorrah. I saw all these evil things that was happening. And when you read the story about Sodom and Gomorrah, judgment came and destroyed them. But here God is in the, in the city of Nineveh saying, even though you have similar characteristics, instead of destroying you, I want to love you. I want to love you. The Old Testament said that there was, there was judgment on this group of people. He found his righteous people and said, listen, no, I, I mean, I need all y'all to grab everybody. Get out of here. I, I need you to leave because I'm getting ready to destroy them based upon the works that they've done. But here's Nineveh operating in the same spirit, but God is having mercy. And then now he's offering unstoppable grace. Grace is when you get something that you don't even deserve. You, you, you can't even earn it. it. It's something that shows up when, when, when you least expect it and you're looking at it and saying, why in the world would God, knowing everything about me, still watch over me? Because the Bible says it this way. His will is that none should perish, but everybody come into a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
So that's the second, the, the third story is talking about the story of Nineveh, how they heard the repentant call from Christ, from Jonah rather. But now let's look at this latter part, and then, and then we're going to uh, try to do something that hopefully, preferably, will be something that many of us will take advantage and uh, seize this moment. The last part of this story, the fourth story, rather, is God's story. So we had the back story that talked about what was going on. We had the story of Jonah. We had the story of Nineveh, how they heard the word of God and they repented. And then there's another story that's God's story. And in God's story, he gets to show his heart. He gets to show his heart in such a way that no man can uh, begin to fathom how God is able to do this. As he began to look at all the negative things that Nineveh was doing earlier, grace still covered him because his prayer was that maybe one day they'll turn from their wicked ways. Just maybe one day something will happen. The light bulb will go off and they'll look at each other and say, we need to change the customs of how we operate and how we do things. Maybe the light bulb will go off. Have you ever had somebody that you're waiting on the light bulb to go off for? Don't look at your child or your husband. But, 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 but you find yourself in a place and you're like, man, if the light bulb goes off, this person has so much potential. There, there, there's so many great things that they can do, but the light bulb just won't go off. And somebody tapped their neck. Stop tapping people. <laughs> but God was saying, Maybe if, if, if I show grace to Nineveh, then the light bulb will go off. Maybe if I, if I take Nineveh, because I've learned the last time, I, maybe Sodom and Gomorrah, maybe they would have turned from their wicked ways, but maybe I wasn't patient enough. But so, so, so this time, I'm, I'm going to give grace to them, even though they don't deserve it. And, and hopefully, maybe one day, they'll, they'll wake up and they'll say, I don't want to continue in what I'm doing. That's why some of us that are in here, and I'm not calling you out, but that's why some of us in here, we've gotten stuck in some things and we're trying to get out of it. And we know the stuff that we're stuck in, God should have pulled the plug a long time ago, but yet some kind of way we're still waking up in the morning. That's a light bulb grace. <laughs> that's a grace that's saying if, if, hopefully the light bulb will go off. And you're still operating and you're still moving and you know that you shouldn't even be here, but some kind of way you wake up and you look around and you're still here. And then you have uh, Jonah's story who who's serving God faithfully on the early part. And when he's serving God, God has said, listen, I'll bless you. I'll, I'll open up the windows of heaven and do the things that you've been desiring. And, and so God is gracious to uh, uh, Jonah. So Jonah is a celebrity in his town right now. Back home, Jonah's the man because God has given him a grace to operate in his gift. So I give a warning as a prophetic warning to some of us. Don't get to the point that you get beside yourself because you're operating in your gift. That's a warning fire shot for somebody. Just because you're doing well, don't think that it's you that's causing these things to happen. It's still the grace of God. 
You don't have the worries and desires that other folk have, but yet it's still God's grace that's covering you. And never lose sight of how things are going great in your life, because if the grace of God is ever pulled back, you'll realize that it wasn't you, but it was God. Third part, and we're going to try to hurry up to a close. So the Nineveh, the grace, the repentance grace showed up, and when Nineveh was willing to say, God, I surrender. God's grace was right there to meet them. The moment they relented and they heard what the prophet said, they and, and, and they asked for the forgiveness of God, his grace was right there, reaching out his hand, saying, all right, now come on. I've been waiting for you. All is forgiven. And the last part again is this, God's grace. God's grace is available. The word says it this way, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. I'm I'm not present. I'm I'm not potent. I I know all of these things that that you've even tried to hide, but yet I know them, and yet my grace is still available. Can I go out on a limb for a moment, and I'll wrap up? You can't sin enough to cancel out God's grace because his desire for you is to never go to hell. So he's holding out hope that one day you'll Relent, and you'll listen, and you'll come to know him as Lord and Savior. But the good thing about God and the thing I love about God is that he's a gentleman. And I think, as Pastor Kevin talked about earlier, we're doing a series called The Nature of God, where we're trying to get people to understand how God really operates. And a lot of the things that we've been taught over the years hadn't really been the nature of God. But yet we've taken them. And we've held on to him. And our desire is that as the Holy Spirit continues to give us revelation to his word, that you'll be able to grab a hold of it and know God in a fresh new way. And so here's the thing I want you to know about God. His grace is available for you today. Right where you are with the story that you have, his grace is available for you right now. You, you, you can't change yourself and get yourself prepared for God's grace. God's grace is here regardless if you change or not. And so he's waiting to see who's willing to acknowledge that they need to take advantage of my grace. Not in a negative connotation of, 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 of just getting over, but who's willing to, to seize the moment? Who's willing to say, you know what, God? Today is the day that I want to take you up on that offer. And so the last part of my charge this morning as we uh, wrap this thing up is that I would open up an invitation to you. An invitation that's not a fire and brimstone invitation, but an invitation that'll say, listen, even when we were contrary to his will, his unstoppable grace, it still kept me. Even when my heart and my mind wasn't even turned towards doing the things of God. His grace, his unstoppable grace was still right there. I'm going to read you one line and I'll get ready to close. So my prayer is now, Holy Spirit, that you will begin to touch the hearts of the people that need to respond to your grace. My prayer, Holy Spirit, is that uh, when we give this invitation that anything that might be a hindrance, a clog, a block, uh, um, 
a wall would be torn down, that they might receive your grace and uh, realize that even from the story of uh, Jonah, that if, if, if they simply turn from their ways and they do the things that you've called them to, that, that you will meet them with your, your arms open wide. You'll be like the father whose son was prodigal, but yet he looked from afar off and he said, this was my son who was lost and now he's found. Bring me a robe, bring me a ro bring me the ring, bring me the sandals, go kill the fattest guy. Like, God, give him, let him know that that's how you're waiting to receive him this morning. Not, not with a reminder of what they did. Not with the reminder of how wrong they were. Because God, your word says in 1 Corinthians 13 that, that love keeps no record of wrongdoing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love endures all things. Love, 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 love's lasting is everlasting. God, that's what your love is. So now, God, our prayer is that their hearts would be receptive to respond to that unstoppable grace that you've given us. Hear this part, and this is the only point that I have this morning. God's grace is abundant. If I gave you a million dollars, you could measure that. But if I gave you an abundance of something, the only thing you can say is it's a lot. And God's love, his grace is abundant. And the B part of that is, and it's not dependent upon, watch this, our actions or our attitude. God doesn't offer grace based upon your action or based upon your attitude. Because if that was the case, many of us wouldn't be where we are today. And so there must be something about grace that we can't control. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you need to feel God's grace. Maybe you need to feel God's mercy. Maybe you need to feel God in a way that you, you haven't felt in a long time. Maybe you've gotten to a place where you feel like your relationship with God is void, and when you try to pray, it seems like nothing's happening. And God is saying today, I promise you, I promise you, if you give me one opportunity to prove myself, I'll love you in such a way that you won't doubt me again. The woman at the well, she, uh, he, he said, will you, you give me a drink? He said, all I have is this. And he said, if you drink from the well that I have, you'll never thirst again. You may have come in here empty. You may have come in here broken. You may have come in here just simply out of routine because it's Easter Sunday morning. And that's still cool because we're glad to see you. But God loves you far beyond that. He wants to fellowship with you in a personal way. But the thing about God is this. He's not going to force it. The word says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And whosoever opens up the door, I'll come in and I'll sup with them, and I'll never leave. Will you accept this invitation? Will you accept this invitation?